Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. New year, new credit scores. Chime makes it easier to build credit by using your own money to make on-time payments with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a qualifying direct deposit. There's no annual fee or credit check required when applying. Get started at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. Hello, Hidden Gems. It's Lauren with Hidden, a true crime podcast. As a TV reporter, I learned the art of visual storytelling. So if you're like me, you enjoy listening, but also viewing. You can actually head to our YouTube channel, Hidden True Crime, to watch these interviews. Hit the subscribe button for surprise lives and breaking news. And for exclusive content, things Dr. John and I only dare say behind a paywall, become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash hidden true crime. You'll find bonus episodes, early releases, and insider info. Thank you for your endless support. We are here with a very special guest at our dinner table right now. Someone that I think we've been wanting to probably interview since 2020, 2019, understanding that that it would be whenever you felt ready and perhaps it wouldn't you wouldn't ever be ready. We are with the Heather Daybell. Here are a few things that I can share about Heather. Uh, you're a dark sister-in-law. I am proud. <laughs> Very dark. <laughs> Sunburned right now. <laughs> As far as a light or dark scale goes, uh, your brother-in-law, Chad Daybell, made it very clear to Melanie Gibb, to Lori Vallow, and I'm sure to several others we don't know, that you are dark, to not be listened to. You are married to Chad's brother, Matt, and you were their neighbors when this happened, and you grew up with the Daybell family in Springville, Utah. You are the first Daybell to be coming forward. Yeah. I think the public knows Heather with those few facts and that you were someone who tried to warn people. And many have read a note or a letter you wrote as a stake Relief Society president, which is a leader over the LDS Church of the Women in multiple congregations. That was leaked to the media. Those are the few things I think that uh, the public might recall when it comes to Heather Daybell. But what I think we're going to find out throughout the next few hours is that we're going to learn a lot more about who Heather Daybell is. We're grateful to be here at our dinner table. So thank you. I appreciate that. I, I do want to... I've made it clear on social media um, that I... I haven't wanted to interview. We've been approached by Dateline 2020, all of them. Um, we've chosen not to participate in those interviews. Um, I 
was advised by an attorney to wait till after the trial to say anything um, because mostly because I was being subpoenaed by Mark Means. And um, I think them just trying to drum up information that really wasn't there. So that's, I was advised by my attorney. Um, but when I watched the Netflix documentary, Sins of Our Mother, um, I just had a, I was just, um, I didn't like that it's Julie Rowe who's speaking about Chad. Um, representing the Daybell side. Representing the Daybell side. And unfortunately, I did too. So. <laughs> well, that was completely okay. You, that was okay. But uh, right. I, as I watched, and I watched that by myself. My, my husband, Matt, has not watched that yet. Um, we are pretty particular in what we do watch and how much we let in um, because it is very overwhelming and it's been a really devastating three years um, for lots of reasons. Having watched that um, and the trial is in January, um, it kind of felt for me to say anything after the trial felt kind of irrelevant at that point. It's it's done. And um, so I will be... Um, I'll be very careful in what I say. They are innocent until proven guilty. So we're making the assumption there's a presumption of innocence still. So we're speculating, right? You're not speculating about your actual experiences, but we're speculating about guilt or innocence and the outcome of the case. Right. Right. And I will say I am not here representing the Daybell family. I am here representing myself, the experiences that I've had. With all of this, um, Matt is my husband. I know how he feels about things. Um, I won't speak for him um, on most things, but I do know how he feels. Um, he is supportive of me being here. Um, he just has chosen not to, life's been very overwhelming and he just doesn't feel the need for himself to, to do an interview. Um, I don't know that he ever will. So anyway, so I, I got to, I've talked with Lauren um, over the last couple of years. I love the podcast. Um, thought that was incredibly interesting. That's right. The first time we talked was in 2020. As you're trying to figure out how something like this happens and origins of things and Matt and I would listen to those podcasts and he would say, well, that's, that sounds right about my family, but that's not right. And, that, and I said, then why don't you tell them? I'm sure they would love to know your point of view on some things. So we did have a conversation with you on the phone. Yes. Matt and I, and we talked, he clarified some things. Um, so he felt better about what was being said. And I think that says, says something that says a lot about you two for Matt to even be willing to listen to your podcast and then want to clarify. He, he's, you're doing really good work, and he recognized that, um, and I did too. So that's why I'm here Thank you. Um, with you Thank too. You. I trust um, if I was going to do an interview, this is the one I was going to do. Well, I think it's time for you to share your truth too. I can't imagine um, you've been through so much, and I think we're going to, again, learn a lot about that. I can't imagine having to... Just listen to everyone else share these stories, like you mentioned Julie Rowe and so many others, when 
you've had to remain quiet. You have not been able to share your truth. Um, and so I hope that this time at our dinner table too will also not just be an interview, but will also be something that perhaps can help you move forward and, you know, we're your friends. This has been devastating. It's affected relationships in our family. So I want to be careful with that. Um, so having said that, I, I think probably the, the best place to start would be um, around 2014. Um, I was, and I will go back a little bit. Chad and I have never been friends. And, and let's, yeah, let's go back to that. You've known him since you were, how old? When, when did you first meet Chad? When I first started dating Matt, when I was 14, Matt was 15, Chad was on his mission. Okay. So it was after Chad got back that um, Chad worked at the cemetery in Springville. Matt worked there too. That was Matt's brother Paul worked there. Matt's brother Je uh, Brad worked there. So when people get really weirded out by that job, I don't because it was a job. And it was with the city. They did other things too. They worked at the parks and things like that. So the grave digger thing, I, at least from like Matt and I's perspective, wasn't as weird. Someone's got to do that job. Um, I do think Chad fixated on death a lot. Um, John's, you know, kind of talking through those things. I do think that's a thing. Right. And I, I, let me just comment. Yeah. That, Thank you for that observation because I think it's not it's not the grave digger thing that's creepy. It's the fact that his belief system became more extreme because he was exposed to so much death. Yeah. And like so, what in addition to having that job, like you you were you just said that he he seemed to have an obsession with death or a fixation on it. How would you recall that? Well, I I didn't have a lot of a lot of conversations with Chad throughout Matt's marriage. I will say um, Chad from the beginning didn't like me. Um, there's an incident that I've, I've talked to with Chad later on with Chad and Tammy and um, I've, we've been open about it because it was a silly thing, but Matt and I did date young and we'd get in fights all the time. It was a very teenage relationship. But um, there was a time that Matt and I had, we were, we were one of those that broke up, got back together, broke all the time. We were in a breakup. Well, if you were dating since you were 14, I hope there were a few. <laughs> there were, there were plenty. So um, we were in a breakup time. I'd heard through a friend that Matt went and kissed another girl. I was upset. So I went to the cemetery and, um, you know, walked up to Matt and asked him, did you, did this happen? And he was very being cocky and kind of a turd about it. And I, so I took a swing and Matt's a lot bigger than me. And so he just kind of blocked it. And, and that made me even, you know, more upset. So I'm like, you know, slapping at him and very <laughs> stupid. And Chad came over and you know, Matt's boss and get her, get her out of here. You know, it was just a silly thing, <laughs> but Chad, that was Chad's view of, of me. So he didn't like me. And, um, I didn't know until years after I married Matt, Matt never told me that Chad, before Matt proposed to me, Chad went to Matt and said, I have a strong feeling that you should not marry Heather. 
and that 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 was a bad idea. Matt luckily, you know, disregarded that and and knew that that would hurt my feelings, and so he didn't tell me that for a long time. So that you know, Matt, I, Chad's not liked me for a long time, and and that's been reciprocated for from day one. He's not liked me. Um, I do think because I'm kind of outspoken and I will tell you if, you know, something's not looking right or you've done something hurtful, I will say something. And I don't think Chad likes that either. So. Well, you're a strong woman. I think that in general, Chad probably just doesn't like women, but um, definitely not an outspoken, strong woman like you. So anyway, that was kind of the beginnings of, of me knowing Chad. And then when Matt and I got married, um, we lived in Springville and just the relationships, Matt was very, very tight and close with his dad. Um, and I believe Matt was raised in a very patriarchal home. I was very tight with my mom and I was raised in a more matriarchal home. She will tell you that we, that's, that's kind of how it was. And so for Matt and I, as a couple, we were coming from different, we were raised a little bit differently. So, um, so we, we had a hard time if we, you know, when you first get married, it's hard. Marriage is hard to figure out and we would argue and then he'd go off to his dad and I'd go off to my mom and we, that wasn't working very well. And the name of the father is Jack. Jack, right? Jack Chabel. Jack, from what I understand, or at least from from reading Chad's autobiography, Jack tends to be fair, like Chad in some ways, fairly quiet. And is that you know fairly um, passive? Does that seem like an accurate? Um, I would yes. Um, he's not at when I say patriarchal home. I never. I never witnessed him like using his priesthood, you know, that kind of thing. I think it was more uh, just the generation that he grew up in, um, that that's just kind of how it was. But um, I will say, I don't want to get a lot into Jack and, and Sheila and Matt's siblings, just because, again, I don't want to speak for them and their experiences. Um, one thing I've always kind of struggled with Matt's dad um, because I, again, because I'm more of an outspoken, strong-willed person. Um, I will share one experience that kind of is an example of kind of the, the, the struggle that I've had um, early on when Matt and I were married. Um, I maybe even had my first daughter at this point. I'm not sure. It was pretty early on. Um, there were, whenever there were issues with anyone in the family, be it um, with Tammy or with Paul's first wife, Tara, or Brad's, you know, wife, uh, Devery, it was always, it was always the wives' faults. It was always our fault. Um, it was never any of those boys' fault if there was a problem. And I was, I was kind of, I was tired of that. And so one day I remember I was out in their backyard, Jack and Sheila's backyard. I don't remember the circumstance and what had happened. Um, but I did say to him, you know, Jack, Tammy 
is a Douglas, Tara is a Polson, I'm a Smith, and Devery is a Nelson. We are all very different people. We've come from different backgrounds. Um, what's the common denominator in all of this and the issues that we're having is Daybell, your sons. They're, this isn't all us. We're, we're doing our best with your sons. And my kind of calling that out, that maybe you need to look at your sons a little bit. This isn't all our fault. He didn't like that. Um, I think since now at this point with everything has happened in the last 25, 30, 30 years, he's changed, I think, in that. Um, he can see that his boys can do wrong, obviously. I hope so. It reminds me, when you say that, it actually reminds me a little of the Lafferty yeah. um, family yeah. that was very patriarchal. And yeah. And Jack would never have, like how it was depicted in Under the Banner of Heaven, Jack would never get up and give like some big speech like the Lafferty dad. That he, wasn't, he wasn't like that. He was quiet. He was more quiet, but it was just kind of that underlying, you know, where are the daybells kind of thing. It was attitudinal. Yes. Very right. And so, and I think some people ask us all the time, well, Chad is so passive and quiet and, you know, taciturn. Why, how could he be patriarchal or how could he be someone who could do something like this. And I think it's important to understand that, and that's, I'm bringing this up because of Jack, that just because someone is quiet and reserved doesn't necessarily mean that they don't hold a set of beliefs or attitudes mm -hmm. that are conducive to yeah. patriarchal behaviors or misogyny or murder, mm -hmm. right? And so yeah. I think it's an important point. Yeah. And it is interesting um, what I have observed is that each of those boys, you know, there's the four boys and then there's the youngest sister, Becky, those boys. And Matt has expressed to me, he always felt closer to his dad and um, not quite as attached to his mom. Not that he doesn't love her, any of that. It's just that that was the dynamic in that family. And um the other thing that I observed, I was telling Lauren earlier, that really, really bothered me when I married Matt, even before when I was dating him, is that um, just uh, the jokes that were made towards Matt's mom, very disrespectful, um, joking about her weight, joking about it, it. They were, they would say things to her about her in a joking way that I would never due to my own mom. Um, and Sheila didn't require that respect. She didn't, she never said anything. She never, she'd just laugh with them. Um, it really bothered me. And I, I remember early on saying to Matt, you will never speak about me that way. Our, our children will never speak about their mother that way. Um, and I don't think Matt realized it until I observed that and I said something. Um, and again, I think my my sisters-in-law, um, uh, I, I think they felt the same way. You just, you don't treat the woman that you love that way. You don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because even though 
we didn't know much about Sheila, um, that in Chad's autobiography, the observation I made is that he literally gives her one or two sentences, mm-hmm. and which tells you mm-hmm. the place that's the the lack of prominence that she has in his internal world. Yes, and I I observed that same thing. I read his autobiography um, before it was printed. Um, that's a story I'll tell later, but um, that is one th- I never. And again, this is just to me. Um, conversations I had with Chad and the things that I observed in Chad, he never had a kind thing to say about his mom. Um, it was always, um, I remember there was, after they'd moved to Rexburg, here's just an example. He, his, Matt's parents, uh, Matt's mom got really into family history work and was doing a lot of it. And Chad would kind of help her with that. But the comment he made to me was, well, about time she finally gets into family. It was not like, you know, great. She's, it was like, it's about time. He just never, he was just so condescending. He just would never say anything kind, particularly about her. Reminds me of that story about Tammy when he, she wasn't doing enough family history. So Mm -hmm. he had to swear at her from beyond Mm -hmm. the veil about not playing Frontierville. Mm -hmm. And we only know that story because he thought it was a great story to share. It was funny. And yeah. yeah, he thought it was funny. And, to and, uh, and his wife on prints. Yeah. yeah. Who knows what happened behind the scenes that we don't know about. Right. Right. And, and to basically try to shape her behavior without talking to her directly. Right. That's, that was very, very, very common. Um, so it, that's been something that I don't know. Again, I won't speak much more to that other than... Um, Chad would, and, and Matt did want me to convey here he, that he had a very happy childhood. He said, I, he's racked his brain. He's like, did I miss something? Did I, what didn't I see? He really did have a good childhood. It was a very free childhood. He could go out in the morning and come back at night. And, but that's kind of how everyone did it back in the 80s and that's we'd do the same thing we'd go out and you grew up in a small town and yeah, it was a farming community and it was safe you could do that and um you know we'd, we'd go in to eat and then we'd go back out and so anyway matt matt just said he's he had a very happy childhood i think paul paul said the same thing he had a very happy childhood brad has said you know things were okay they don't I have some of my own opinions on things, but again, concerning uh, maybe Matt's sister and stuff, but that's not my story to tell. So right. anyway. And I think some of it depends on, we talked about this in the podcast when we talked about the Daybell family. It depends on how someone defines a healthy family. You know, if a lot of research shows that healthy families deal very well with emotions, and they're open about emotions and they can express emotions. And I'm not sure that the Daybell family fits no. that category. No, and I've even had, and this is later on, you know, as, as Jack, and, Jack and Sheila have gone through a lot with their kids, a lot, before chat, a lot of stuff. Um, and I do, I do think that just to, and Sheila has said this to me, that she'll keep things pretty superficial. Because if she gets deep in her thinking, there's a lot of pain um, in things that have happened with her, a couple of her children. And so 
um, you know, she admittedly said that to me. I, I keep things pretty up here. Um, but one thing that, that Chad, again, Chad just, if you listen to Matt, and this is common, I think, in every family. If you talk, each kid's going to have their own perspective and experience in their family. But Chad never had anything nice to say. His was a hard one. He was the oldest. One thing I've heard repeatedly over the years was that his mother would never take the garbage out and the garbage would pile high and it would have to be him. She, why couldn't she just be the mom and do the jobs that needed to be done? And Babe, have I ever taken the garbage out? No. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I take it back. You, there's been a couple of times when you've assisted me. Oh, but, but I should say that this is by choice because I, I'm the one who voluntarily decides to take it out. If I asked you to do it, you'd be happy to do it. Yeah. It's yeah. just that we have this routine and I take it out. But yes, you have, you have helped right. a handful of times. So it's just interesting to me. In other words, he believes, or, or let me ask you to clarify that his mom should have done all of the household work, no matter what it was. I think that was the, I think in most homes, at least friends that I had, that was, that was the role of mom. It was very, and especially in the LDS church at that time, that's obviously morphed and changed, but that mom does those things. And he was very um, resentful that he had to do any of those things as the oldest child. So if you talk to him as opposed to Matt, they had very different um, experiences. That's interesting. So even as a child, not even as a husband, as a child, he felt his mom should be doing all the household work for him and he shouldn't and she just wasn't participate. quite cutting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting feature of families that a lot of siblings do have different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of it's birth order. Mm-hmm. Chad was the oldest. Um, a lot of it has to do with different relationships with parents. Some parents just respond differently to kids, you know, different kids in different ways. And so um, that's important to mention that, you know, Matt will have a different experience than Chad and respond differently to it. And obviously his, you know, his life has, has been quite different than Chad's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, the interesting thing to me though, is that, and I, I think I'm accurate in this, is that each of those four boys were drawn and closer to their dad than their mom. Um, like when would say, you know, most people, we're going to go to grandma's house. It was with Matt's, it was we're going to grandpa's house. That to me was weird because, you know, I have grandmas that we're going to grandma's house. And I even said to Matt once, I want my grandkids to say we're going to grandma's house. Grandma and grandpa's are both, you know, just not grandpa's house. And so those kinds of things would bug me. And I thought it was weird. It is interesting. They expect her to do all the household work yet. It's grandpa's house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's probably about all as far as going into the history of Matt's family. I will say, um, Jack and Sheila are, they're good people. Um, you know, I've, I've heard, the examinations of the Cox family and all of that. I don't know any of them. Um, every family has its issues. I, I have always thought Chad was weird. I never thought that Chad would do what he did, allegedly did. Um, I don't think he was raised in a home 
that you could follow those steps and that would be an end result. I just don't. Um, yeah, there are issues. And I think there's things that I know there's things I don't know, um, things that have happened that I have not been made aware of. Um, but at least my observation having been, I felt very loved by Matt's parents, um, especially in high school. Um, probably, it, I will say, um, it, Matt was raised in a very, uh, there wasn't a ton of discipline that went on. Um, Matt could come home kind of whenever. And on the other hand, I was raised in a, uh, I was, there was a lot of discipline. Um, and so that was difficult um, for Matt and I as we were dating. And there was a time that Matt's parents said to me, if your mom's being mean to you and you need to leave, you can come live at our house. Even as a teenage kid, I thought, who the heck says that? What set of parents says that to a teenage kid? So, and, and my mom was really hurt by that. Um, so anyway, there, there was just, it was a different dynamic in our homes. And so when Matt and I got married, we said, we want to find a happy medium. We want to have discipline. We want to, you know, there's rules, probably not as strict as my parents were, but certainly more structure than what, that what, you know, how Jack and Sheila ran things. So. You mentioned that Sheila kept things on the surface. What would you say the same thing about Jack? Um, I think it depends. Like I've had some, especially earlier on, things kind of got harder. Just and and Matt and I moved away. Oh, that's the point. I was so when when Matt um, was going to go into a graduate program, we got we went to CSU in Colorado. I did not want to move away from my family. I was terrified of that. But once we got there, Matt and I's marriage improved immensely because I couldn't run to my mom and he couldn't run to his dad. We had to figure it out together. And kind of from that point on, um, we did look at moving back to Utah when his program was over, but there wasn't any jobs weren't available. So we ended up going to Nevada and went and we had a couple, you know, more kids. We just thought, you know what, we, we, we don't need to be living around family. We consciously made that decision to live away so that we were our own little unit and we needed to figure things out for ourselves. That plays into later when Chad decides to move into our neighborhood. <laughs> we were not happy about that. So anyway. Um, you, you weren't saying, hey, come on up, Chad. That was. Uh, no, <laughs> quite the opposite. So to answer your question, John, it was, Jack was more early, especially earlier on. I could sit and have a conversation with him. And I could have conversations with Sheila as well. We'd have some pretty uh, deep gospel conversations. Um, but just as time went on, I didn't feel I could talk to them um, as I once could when I was younger. Because um, just things would happen that were hurtful. And, and anyway, and Jack, Jack would, um, they'd kind of, I learned later, were kind of hanging on to things that I thought were resolved um, and they weren't. So not a super easy relationship. Um, 
and Matt will say, you know, they're in-laws. That's kind of how that is. Not all the time, but um, that's how it's been for us. And we'll get, and I'll talk a little bit more about the aftermath of all the stuff with Chad. But as far as the history of the Daybells, that's probably all I will say is that they're, I think they're good people that have tried to do their best um, in what they knew. And um, my heart is broken Ugh, for them. I don't communicate with them at this point, but um, they've been through more than any parent should have to go through. And I'm, I'm, I am concerned for them. I do love them, um, but I'm choosing to have separation right now from them. So anyway, so we'll, I'll jump to 2014. I was so in about eight years ago. Uh -huh. I was in Utah. Matt and I had gone down to Utah with our kids. Um, I was staying with my parents. Matt and his, our boys and Matt's brothers and Jack. Oh, they go to a pheasant ranch down in Utah. They try to go every year. They're going to go again this year in October, where they go fun, uh, hunt pheasants together. Um, it's been a fun thing for them. So I was at my mom and dad's house. Matt called me and he said, Heather, I got to tell you a few things. He said, Chad is telling us right now that there's going to be an earthquake in 2015 and that the end times are here. And Chad had laid out a few of these events for his dad and brothers and that he knew these things were happening. When Matt called me, um, Matt was like, can you believe it? Can you? And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you listening to this? And he's like, well, it's, I mean, Chad, he's saying, and, and I, I said, I, like I, for me, it was like a, I don't want to hear it. That's not, that's not happening. Then we go to, and I can't remember exact dates as far as months and things, but all of us had gone, all of Matt's family went to a place in Island Park. Um, cause Matt Island and I, Park, Idaho. Beautiful. Island Park, it is beautiful. We, so Matt and I moved to, to Rexburg in 2004. So we've been there 18 years. Um, we've established a business there. We've, it's been home. So we're all up in Island Park. And Chad starts talking about this Julie Rowe and he's publishing her book and he's going on and on about this earthquake and um, that she had this near death experience that she has seen all the events that are going to happen, that there's going to be these white trucks that come up to people's homes and they are going to ask you to bring out all of your food storage. Those that have their food storage, are the worthy ones and that then they will tell you where you need to go in these mountain camps and anyway so it's this whole thing's he's telling us all this and i'm just sitting there going what so he tells us all that and he says this book's coming out soon just wanted to give you guys the heads up this is coming. How is he telling you guys this? Is he on the phone? Has he called no. a family meeting? Is he emailing? We're all just sitting on this deck at this cabin. Okay. We're all just so sitting the, there. The book being the Julie Rowe. The Julie Rowe. Yes. Okay. That he's published right. this yeah. book for Julie Rowe. Gotcha. 
and then it's coming out and we need to read it. So in the meantime, we, we go back home and I, it, it bugged me. I was like, I don't like near death experience books. I've never, I don't like them. I, I have my own opinions about those. I don't want to discount people's experiences, but I have my own opinions. So I just kind of brushed it off like, okay, that's weird. He's really thinking this stuff. Um, kind of a side note, his own books that he had written up to that point about kind of the same stuff that he was saying was fiction. It was fiction, by the way, when he wrote that. It was fiction. This backtracking of these were really... Absolutely. He would tell us that. And I read the first trilogy that he wrote, um, Aaron for Emma, those. I read those. <laughs> As he's describing in these books that the same kind of thing, there's going to be these camps and stuff that you have to bring all your food storage and you get to this gate or whatever. And if you didn't have your food storage, you weren't permitted in. I remember saying to Matt, Who, what? That's how, that's how God's going to work in all this. If someone couldn't afford their food storage, that they're not going to be saved from all the tribulations. To me, it was just asinine. It was, it was dumb. I, and I, I, I love to read. I think he's a terrible writer. I, his, they're so simplistic. They're so jump, jump, jump to idea to idea that, and I even said to him once, why don't you elaborate? Why don't you, because they're just, they're, they were childish to me. They were, I did not enjoy reading his books. Yeah, he does, he does a lot of telling and not a lot of showing, right? right? He right. doesn't, he, yeah, he, yeah, right. This is a bit of a tangent, but with that, you, you kind of explained how you were never Chad's friend. He essentially said to Matt, don't marry her. When you would bring things up, like I don't like his books to Matt or whatever the case may be, did he often chalk it up to, oh, you just don't like Chad? Um, I think a little bit, but at the same time, and Matt just wouldn't read his books. He's like, I'm just not interested. And we'd never buy, like I'd say, should we buy some just to be like supportive? And that's like, mm, no. <laughs> so... Matt just wasn't interested. So, and so Matt, yeah, okay. So Matt wasn't. Interested. So he'd never be like, "Gosh, you're being mean to my brother." You know, Matt just wasn't interested, and he just was like, "Well, you read him. You didn't like him." So you were almost more interested than Matt was, or curious. You were more curious. It's been very interesting that yes, and when we get into the autobiography, that's yes. Um, so anyway, I read that first trilogy. I didn't love it, so I didn't really read anything after that because I thought how judgmental and. That don't think that's how that would play out anyway. So when he's talking about Julie Rose book, we have that Island Park experience. I go home and I, um, I would, I had started going on walks with my next door neighbor, um, Shirley Clausen. Oh, that, that would be Eldon's wife, Eldon Clausen's wife. Uh, she's discussed in Bernadine's interview on our YouTube channel. And I do have some opinions on that I won't probably get into. But um, we'd go for these walks. And on one of these walks, Shirley starts talking about this book where, and she describes these white trucks come and they take your food storage. So she's, and I said, wait a minute, who published that? 
And she said, it's from this Spring Creek books chat. And I said, oh, it's here. So she's describing Julie Rowe's book. That was the first indication. And, and Shirley's really into that kind of stuff. So I thought, okay, I could see where she likes that. But then over time, I go to our clinic. We have a pediatric clinic for therapy. I go to that clinic and her Julie Rose book's sitting on the counter. And at a pediatric clinic, and I said to our office manager, whose is that? And she said, oh, it was given to me by another therapist. And I was just, and I went, oh, okay. And I mentioned it to Matt. And he's like, oh, you know, everyone's LDS here. They kind of, some people get into that kind of stuff. And, but I just had a knot in my stomach. And then I would hear other people start talking about it. And this thing spread like wildfire in Rexburg. And I, I was baffled by it because, so I got the book. So I read it. I borrowed it because I wouldn't buy it. And I read it and I thought, this is insane. People are believing this, that she's legitimate, that this near-death experience happened. And, and so you're LDS, you believe like many people in, in Rexburg, and yet you read it and realized this was insane, trying to comprehend how it's how spreading. How is catching on? And so <laughs> then, and, I, and again, I don't remember, I know that was 2014, 2015, and I can't remember for sure what month this was, but we were down in Utah you know, and I was, I'm in a very different place now, but I was a very, very believing LDS woman that um, I had, I had my ear supply, still do down in my crawl space and um, food storage. Yeah. All this wheat and all that. Okay. But um, so I was very much into being prepared for whatever could happen. Um, but I was hearing people that were starting to buy these tents and with stoves in them and excessive and beyond what church leaders had, you know, counseled to do. So, um, in, so I would say things to chat, like, and we didn't get together a ton, um, you know, just when we'd see each other and you taught at a family gathering or whatever. Um, I do, and there's things like I go back and I think, that's something he gleaned on to. He took that more serious than what was intended. So for example, we had a home teacher. Um, this isn't, so when we lived in Rexburg, we've lived for nine years south of Rexburg in an area called Lyman. Then we moved to the Salem area where we are now that's north of Rexburg. So when we lived in Lyman, we had a home teacher that came, he was a professor at BYU-Idaho. And this was when the ICE Center, the big conference center was being, it was in the works. And this home teacher told us that it was kind of this thing going around BYU-Idaho that President Hinckley, the prophet at that time, was saying, we need to get this, we need to make this building bigger and we need to get it done faster. So people in the area, at least this home teacher was telling us that we're taking that as this is going to be a there's a reason for this conference center. So that really was a, a rumor or a sort of belief yeah. system in Rexburg. Yeah. At least, I mean, this home teacher told us this. And at that time, home teacher, for those that aren't LDS, uh, wards assign different families to visit other families and check on them. Yeah. So this was a family assigned to your family yes. 
a male to check on you and he's telling you this. He's telling us this, kind of like giving us the heads up. So I take that as, um, oh man, what's going to happen? What's And so in a family gathering at some point, I mentioned that to, to Chad and said, here's what, you know, this home teacher told us it's a professor up there. They need to get, make this building bigger and get it done faster. What does that mean? And I think that's a piece of information Chad took that evolved into this Rexburg's going to be the new headquarters of the church when all this comes down. And at this point, Chad's still living in Utah, mm -hmm. but that's, yeah, yes, he's, yes. he's hearing this and interesting mm -hmm. and it evolved. Yeah. So that's just an example of anything that, um, something like a piece of information like that, it would kind of grow. He brought up the conference center in his talk that we were given that he, he gave at that preparing a people conference when he met Lori, he brought up how that conference center was large. How the church purposefully made that building to look just like the conference center in Salt Lake so that when all of this stuff happened and the church leaders would secretly have to move to Rexburg, they could still hold like a general conference or meetings and things. And the world will, would still think it was happening in Salt Lake, but it was really happening in Rexburg, that they designed the building for that purpose. Fascinating. Um, and for those not familiar with the geography, Salt Lake is roughly how many hours of a drive to Rexburg? Three, three and a half. And Salt Lake City is the closest, bigger urban city to, to Rexburg. And even like my family and stuff will joke because I, again, as a very believing person, Rexburg was the place because there's, it's like 95 something percent LDS. It's extremely high. And that was a draw for me as a, a believing Mormon. And um, I wanted to move in a place where there was a college my kids could go to and a temple. Those were my criteria and Rexburg fit that perfectly. And they needed the services Matt wanted to provide. And so it was a great place to start a business and raise our family. So 2015, Chad starts with all the Julie Rowe the books are selling like hotcakes. It's, it, it thrived in, in Rexburg. In the area or nationally, was it, was it appealing to a broader audience as far as you know? Um, according to Chad, it was yes, but I think, it, and there were people, I know there were people in Utah and stuff eating this up too. Um, their preparedness stores and things were selling out of stuff. And so it wasn't just Rexburg, Idaho falls area but it was happening in utah but rexburg it was like thriving in 2015 at some point we're at matt's parents house for a family gathering chad and tammy are there we're standing just kind of talking and chad mentions well um i think we're gonna move to rexburg and i went what why and tammy's standing there and she said yeah I am not very happy about this. And I was not happy about it when Chad and Chad jokingly says, yeah, one day I was just saying, when we moved to Rexburg and Tammy was like, what? He hadn't even like talked to her. He just, when we moved to Rexburg and he'd let that slip out. No, he didn't let it slip out. He purposely did that. And so Tammy's like, wait, what? Her family, I mean, in, in Springville, she was in the same ward, same congregation as her sister, Samantha, and her mom. And I mean, this, she was very tight with her family and she was happy there. It was her home. So when he said that, 
when we left that, uh, oh, oh, so in that conversation, and I kick myself to this day, um, I, I didn't see this really happening because Tammy, this, I did not see them moving to Rexburg. And I was like, oh yeah, there's a house for sale down the street from us. You, you know, like very flippantly, jokingly. Again, and even- <laughs> Maybe you're the prophet. <sighs> Right. It sounds like you're the visionary. (laughs) No, thank you. But um, he then shortly after he called Matt and said um, that house that Heather was talking about, he he looked it up and he said, Tammy had a vision about that house that we're going to move there. And Matt was like, what? (laughs) I thought Tammy wasn't a visionary. At least that's what he wrote after she died. So that's what he's going to tell us because he already knows, I think, what he's been saying. Because it got back to him, the whole earthquake and all that I had said to Matt, shut that down, Matt. Shut it down. And um, so Chad knew that I wasn't on board with that. So you think he was manipulating you I, by saying it was Tammy's vision? Yes, absolutely. Um, and she did say, yeah, well, he's... he." We talked about that house. I looked at it. I did pray about it and I felt good about it. So they come up and I said to Matt, let's try to hook them up with at least a a realtor that we can maybe guide them to the other part of town, not right in our neighborhood. Um, And so we did that. We got a realtor. They They go look at the house down the street. They were not in that house more than two minutes where they all, they had the kids with them. I think everybody but Garth. I'm not for sure. And I don't think Garth was there. But I know Leah and Mark. Maybe Seth was on his mission. I can't, I can't re- I know for sure Leah and Mark were there. Because Leah was very sad. Um, to be well, she was going into her senior year. She didn't want to go anywhere. It was sad. I felt really sad for her. But they go in, they come right back, and we're like, didn't like it. And they said, it's way too small. And I mean, Matt get back. We get in our car. Matt's like, I thought it was envisioned that they were supposed to, <laughs> you know, we're being really snide and like, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> what is happening? So they said, we have another house in the area that we want to look at. And so we went, um, we, we went to a couple, <laughs> this is funny. We went to a house in the Lyman area where we used to live. And we said, there are fantastic people there. You would love it there. The cutest house we looked at, because we went and did all this looking with them, was in Lyman. It was a cute house. Their concern, and I remember Tammy saying her concern, was that it was close to Bear World, which is a park off Highway 20, south of town, where they have bears and elk and buffalo, you know, that kind of thing. People love Bear World. (laughs) Yeah. People love caged animals. So they um, they said it's too close to that because when when all this stuff happens and the power goes out, those animals will be roaming free. Wow. This is how literal it is. Very, very literal. This is absolutely we're moving here because this is going to happen. So that, wow. that was a no-go to be in that area because as I remember, that was their explanation. Would would you say, just based on what you've been talking about so far, one of the big questions is whether Chad believed it. Would you say that Chad was a true believer, that he really felt that all these 
events would transpire? If you ask Matt, he'll say yes. He's absolutely a true believer. I'm I'm torn because when I go when you go clear back, Chad was very much into the end times. I I just recently we were remodeling our home and I was cleaning at a bookshelf and found a book called The Coming of Christ that Chad had given to Matt not long after we got married. In the front of that book, there's a whole page of Chad telling Matt, you are going to be instrumental in the events that are going to happen in the last days, that I know that's true. When I found that book and I read that, and again, I read that book, Matt never touched that book. So I remember having read that with Chad's little foreword in there, reading it at this point was a weird experience. Um, I got rid of a bunch of other LDS books in that bookshelf, but that one I held on to because um, I wanted Matt to see that. Yeah. Um, so as far as how I view it. Do you remember it, what year that was that he? It was shortly. Uh, I, I'd have to look. It was shortly after we were married. Okay. So that would be 1985, 28 so, years ago. So that would imply that he believed it back then of the end times and i think he's always been very very into that um from what i read in that book however chad knows when he needs to lie when he needs to cover himself he knows what to say to certain people like that tammy was a visionary with the house sort correct of. even and we'll get into this even how he behaved at church in our ward and the things the things he didn't say at church as opposed to what he was telling us behind closed doors. Two different things. So that to me would indicate, I think he believes this stuff, but at the same time, he knows how to lie about it. He knows how to manipulate. He knows how to please who. So I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know what to do with that, but I, I don't think, and again, I don't know Lori, I think Lori is a totally fully believing person. I, I don't put Chad in that same category. I don't um, just because of his behaviors and, and things that I observed um, with him being in our area. A quick word from our sponsor. While Shopify has already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. Did you know Shopify could do the same thing for your very own retail store? With Shopify, you unite both in-person and online sales, tracking every sale in one place. Hidden True Crime uses Shopify's tools to help us build marketing campaigns for all of our social media platforms, and their plug-in tools are as unique as our business, allowing us multiple ways to accept payments and promote our store. Plus, Shopify's help is always there to support our success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash hidden true crime, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash hidden true crime for a $1 per month trial period to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash hidden true crime. Hidden True Crime is prepping to record live podcasts on the road while meeting many of you along the way. We want to connect to all of our gems without language being a barrier. Enter the most trusted language learning program, Rosetta Stone. It immerses you in a language you're learning and it's available on desktop or app, perfect for on the road learning. 
We're excited to learn Spanish, French, Italian, Korean, and more. Excited to speak, listen, and think in a new language through an intuitive process, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Join with us. Do not put off learning that language. No better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Hidden True Crime listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So they, um, they come, they do this house hunt with us. Then they say, well, there's another house. This is what they tell us. There's another house that we're looking at for mom and dad, Jack and Sheila. And Matt and I went, what? They've never said they're moving. No. That was weird. Jack and so Matt called his parents and said, Chad said he's looking at this house for you. And they're like, no. We're not moving anywhere. Springville's our home. We're not going anywhere. So he's lying to us. So that happened to be the Price's home, the one that they end Across. up buying. Oh, okay. The, the one they bought. That was the Price's home as well. Okay. Yeah, it was called Price's Corner because Price's lived, you know, they're all related, lived in the same, those homes before the one Price couple. They they're the ones that kind of out. host the memorial fence. Is mm -hmm. that accurate? Okay. Yeah. That area. So in other words, they own several homes. Yeah. So there's that. one that Chad bought. They let them do the memorial fence, you know, super good people. So um, anyway, so they tell us, well, we're looking at that house for mom, dad. So we go in that home. I'm right with Tammy. She walks in. First thing she says is it smells. Ew. And, and it's an older home. It's older. That's what Tammy's saying. That's what Tammy's saying. And she's walking through totally unimpressed and didn't like it. And that was that, like it just, she didn't like it. And so we were done with the house hunt. Chad says to Matt and I, well, we probably won't move right now. We didn't see anything that's really working. Could we bring all of our like tent and all of our stuff? Could we like put a shed on your property? We have 12 acres. Could we put a shed on your property that we could store that stuff so when this stuff happens, we have our stuff there? And Matt said, well, we kind of have an aesthetic that we go for. So if it meets that standard, <laughs> sure, you can put one there. What kind of shed? <laughs> ew, ew. So anyway, it... Um... This is fascinating. And when you say they, was this Tammy and Chad together? This is Chad. All communication... This was another thing that really bothered me. All communication about this stuff came through chat. And so Matt was very hesitant. He's like, I guess if that will keep you from moving here, sure, put your stuff in a shed. And we, Matt specifically said to Chad, please don't move here. 
if you feel like you have to move here, please don't move into our ward. We live here on our own for a reason. It's how we do best. Please, and he's point blank, no mistaking, please don't move into our ward. He was very direct with his brother. Very direct because I was almost in hysterics because I knew, nobody else did, but I knew why he was moving to Rexburg. He told us why. That we then, and I'll get into that, we had a conversation with Chad. So, and it was this trip. He came, they're looking at houses. They're staying at a hotel. It happened to be um, a conference weekend and it was the women's meeting that Tammy and her and Leah did not go to because they were looking at houses. Um, so done looking at houses and Matt and I said to Chad, can we talk to you and Tammy alone at our house? And Chad said, you can talk to me. Tammy's going to stay with the kids. Do your kids want to come swim? Do you want to come? So I think my kids did that. They may have gone and had gone swimming with Tammy's kids at the hotel. So I was, I was really disheartened by that, that Tammy was not going to be in this conversation. So Chad comes over, we go up in our upstairs game room, um, sat down with him and Matt said, just point blank, tell me why you're moving here. And I want, I want to know everything that you're thinking. And he goes into, you know, Julie Rowe, all that stuff again. And he said, this earthquake is happening. It is going to happen. And Matt said, how do you know that? And he said, we've seen it. Julie has seen it. He kept directing it at Julie, but then throw it little, I know this is going to happen. So when he says we've seen it, is he referring to Julie and himself? Julie and himself. Okay. Tammy is not. Which is a quick aside. Julie Rowe is still predicting that earthquake. She, yeah. She's really adamant about the fact that she believes it's going to occur this year. So I guess we should <laughs> buckle our seatbelts. Yeah, in 2015, it, it always changes. Right. 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 It, change, it, change, it gets pushed back all the time, and there's always a yeah. explanation. Yeah. And I said to him, I'm concerned. Um, I said, I don't like this. You said this to chat. To chat. I said, this whole predicting of events, I said, we have a prophet um, who doesn't say this stuff. Why are you, why are you too correct on this? And he brought up, um, oh shoot, the name of the book, Visions of Glory. I had a sibling call me that had read that book and said, you need to read that book. So I did read that book. And I, again, I thought, oh, shit. so I just kind of threw it to the side. I thought it was really I mean, you were a believing member then and you're a believing like, member. Very, very devout believing devout, member. Devout. And you were like WTF. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So he brings up that book. He brings up the author. Um, because wasn't that it was like a like a uh, someone wrote it. John or see, is it John Pontius? Mm-hmm. Pontius wrote it, but he wrote Tom Harrison's story. Tom Harrison's name in the book is Spencer. So it was about Spencer. I've communicated with Tom Harrison. He's a therapist in Salt Lake City. And he is, he is Spencer. Um, He, he sent me a letter. He wrote that 
he um, says it's supposed to just be metaphor and that John Pontius got a lot of it wrong. Um, but I also know Tom Harrison to be a man who believes in near-death experiences and believes in his experience. So there you go. Were there earthquakes in the book? I admittedly could not read the whole thing. And I don't remember because it was so... <laughs> It just was nonsense to me. So I, I don't fantasy. remember. It was. Chad, however, told us in that conversation, he brought up that book, and he, his story was that he and Julie Rowe had been called in by some apostle, leader of significance. He wouldn't tell us who. That that person said, you need to get your book out there. You need visions of glory, that this was all legitimate. And that that, whoever that leader was, was telling his own family members to hightail it out of Salt Lake. Do you believe that story? That I don't. If it happened, again, I'm, I'm not a believing member anymore, and we'll get into that. But I, at the time, I thought, nonsense. He's making that up. No leader is going to say that because i believed in these leaders i don't know who that would have been i don't know who but he was just trying to legitimize what he was selling to us yeah it seems like if one of the apostles actually believed that that they would be more public you would think with that information and in, in the hopes of saving everybody thousands yeah, of, right exactly your own little family. Right, right exactly right. and chad right and chad in that conversation said to matt and i you two are going to play a big part in this. I think he was trying to, he, he's good at trying to flatter, like you are important people that you, so he said to us. Which is, sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. but that, it, that earlier you said that he's largely critical of everything, right. except when he needs. When he needs something. He said, you two will become great leaders in this, in all this that's going to happen, your, your home will become like a temple. We've built our dream home in the Salem area. We have 12 acres. We go up, it goes up to the Henry's Fork river. It's beautiful. We love it. But that we were going to become, we were going to be instrumental in what was going to go down. I think in an effort to, for us to be okay with them moving there, me in particular. So as he's saying that, I'm thinking, I had a lot of cuss words going on in my brain. What's going on? At the time or now? Both. I've always been a cusser. I've been a closeted cusser, and now I don't care. But um, I just remember, I remember what I was wearing. I, I was so upset at this point. But he had, he had said, we'll just put our stuff in a shed so it's there. That was that. Did you push back at all on that? Um, I, in that conversation, I was, I kind of let Matt take the lead on that one. Um, but I would, you know, it was more Matt just wanting to hear Chad say definitively, this is happening. I know it's happening. I all of that stuff. So we were clear in where he stood, that this wasn't, maybe this could happen, or just, it was happening. And he was trying, he, he felt it was 
he and Julie Rowe needed to get the word out. So um, that's 2015. I can't remember the, the month, but it was, gosh, was it even a week later? He called Matt and said, we bought that house. And Matt's like, what house? And he said, the one on the corner, around, down around the corner in Price's house. And Matt said, well, I thought Tammy didn't like it. Well, I told her if we paint the walls and we re-carpet, she'd be okay with it. I was livid. I was so upset. And I said, Matt, this can't happen. This can't happen. <laughs> and he said, Heather, it's happening. They bought the house. So they moved and I can't, it was summertime because we had gone camping when they said, here's when we're moving in. I said, I'm out of here. I'm not going to go help them move in. I was so angry because he completely disregarded what we had said. And because we'd said, pick somewhere else in Rexburg, just don't move into our ward. Do you think he really wanted that house or do you think it was part of, uh, saying, look, because you don't want me to do this, I'm going to. I'm sure that was part of it as far as I was concerned. But what he was telling us was that land has, I don't know, four acres or something on it, that it was instrumental in what was going to go down and that we would be working with him because it was in such close proximity. I, I think, yeah, when you tell that story, it seems to me that part of Chad's MO is always to bring on minions bring on followers, right? To have people that agree with his vision and then to get them to do his bidding. Yeah. And I think he probably thought, even though you guys didn't agree with it, it seems to me he may have thought that he could convince you or persuade you. Well, he was telling people we were happy about it. Okay. Wow. He was telling, I even, yeah. my grandma, um, my grandma Nielsen was in Tammy's and Chad Ward um, in Springville. My grandma called and said, why is Chad moving up there to work for Matt? And I said, what? She said, Chad's not a therapist. Why, what job's he going to do? And I said, Grandma, he's not moving up here to work with Matt. He's moving up here because he thinks there's, he's gonna, a big earthquake's going to destroy all of you. I was very open to people. This is why he's coming. So I don't know if she just somehow through a grapevine heard that or... If Chad actually told people that, I don't know. But that was the story she got is that he was moving up to work with Chad, with Matt in our business. So again, he's, he's always distorting the truth mm -hmm. to, to work people against each other, to manipulate people. Yeah, and that we were happy about it and supportive. So anyone that would say that to me, I'd say, no, no, no. That isn't how this went down. We are very upset about this. And here's why he's coming. So... They make the move. We decide we're going camping. I'm not helping them move in. I don't want to be anywhere near this. I'm so angry. They move in. Well, everyone loves him. Everyone loves Chad. He's super nice. Well, he's a famous author. He's a famous author. He, everyone, you know, Julie Rose books, people that have heard about him. They're like, he's, he's great. Matt's brother. Matt's brother. And we have worked really hard. We have a successful business in this town. We've worked hard to make a good reputation for ourselves. And so they move in, they move into the ward. And I, again, I don't, that was summertime, 2015. Your worst nightmare. Not only did they move in, everybody loves them. <laughs> it was, it was 
it was so hard because, and Matt was even like, Heather, it's happening. Get over it. I could not get over it. And I'd even try, I'd be like, okay, just, you're just chill out. It'll be fine. I couldn't do it. It was like, it was just this foreboding that I felt. And so they move in and I don't remember how they weren't there very long before I said to Matt, I want to talk to Tammy. I want to hear from her how she's feeling. So we contact Chad and he said, yeah, I'll bring her over, but I want you to talk to me. Don't direct anything at her because this will, it will make her mad and she'll get upset at you. So he's trying to, that feels like a manipulation, complete manipulation. And he did that with Tammy over and over and over to where Matt's parents really struggled with Tammy. I think Chad did that purposely. He, um, because Tammy could be, Tammy could be headstrong. She could say, you know, if she didn't like something, she would tell you, especially when it came to like Matt's parents. But um, here's a little aside that will just the dynamic of Tammy's. I was not close to Tammy. Um, I don't think Chad would allow anyone to get no, close to Tammy. Mm -mm. Not in our family. It sounds like Chad isolated Tammy. Yes. And as I've talked like to Samantha, her sister and stuff, I think he did that with her family as well, especially towards the end. But um, Tammy, um, so it was kind of a side note. It was really hard to sit through Tammy's memorial in Rexburg. We went to both. We went to the funeral in Springville and the memorial in Rexburg to sit there with my kids and just, and as it should be, they, you know, Tammy's this wonderful, kind, loves children, da, da, da. And I turned to Matt and said, that is not who I am. I'm glad she was that. I think that's who she was. But the perspective I got with Tammy, she was mean. She was, didn't care what you thought. That's what I knew of Tammy. And I do think that was a manipulation on Chad's part. Because anyone that you ask in Rexburg who knew her, who worked with her at the library, that, that knew her, she was amazing. They loved her. And how she loved children. And I turned to my son, who he's 18 now, so he'd have been 15. I said, has Tammy ever spoken to you? He said, nope, not once. I automatically go to isolation and manipulation and him trying to turn people against Tammy and making sure yeah. she doesn't get close to anyone. But I'd be curious well, your there's, thoughts. There's hints of what psychologists now refer to as course of control, which is a, f a type of domestic violence. It's trying to control his spouse and who she communicates with. I mean, the goal is to isolate her to some degree, but mainly it's about him portraying a certain image of himself and, and the community. It, it's about him getting power, basically. So it was it was strange at the memorial because that was not the perception I had of Tammy, even in the ward. So I'll go back. So we I want to meet with Chad and Tammy. And Chad's response, you know, direct everything at me like he was shielding us from Tammy. So um, before they came over, I said to him, I'm not doing that. I'm here to talk to Tammy. I will talk directly to Tammy. She's a big girl. She can answer for herself. So 
we have this conversation. We're out on our bridge outside. And I just point blank said to Tammy, are you okay? Are you okay with this move? And she said, well, I wasn't at first. I was really shocked because um, Springville's my home. But then I went and prayed about it and got an answer that this is where we're supposed to be. I said, okay, I'm not going to argue with that. I said, but you do know you're directly affecting our lives and what we've, we're not happy about this. And especially with, um, you know, again, if it was just them moving to Rexburg because they want to, it'd be a better, because it was a good move for his kids. His kids have done well there. Um, if that, if it was just, you needed a new start somewhere, you wanted to live in a different place. I, I, I could have gotten over that. That's what's, you know, I can't tell you you can't live in Rexburg. It was because I knew what Chad was coming with that I was so angry. Which that, is his belief system. His belief system. That What Tammy said there, by the way, is the version that he talks about in his mm -hmm. autobiography. Yeah. But, it, but I think in the autobiography, he talks about her resistance a little bit. But then he puts it on her and says she mm -hmm. prayed rather than him. Right. And that's what she did say that to us. But I was with her walking through those homes. She did not want to be there. Leah did not want to be there. Um, so oh, I wish I could remember. It seems like Garth was there. But Garth was at UVU. Garth, Garth was in college. He, he didn't move with the family initially. That came later because he was coerced in my opinion. Um, so anyway, we have that conversation. I do remember saying to Chad, because Chad had approached my oldest son, Isaac, and told Isaac that he was going to become this great leader in this thing. And it made Isaac uncomfortable. So he told us about it. So Isaac told Matt and I. So I said to Chad, you do not approach one of my children. When, when did he do that? It was somewhere in there. Um, I would have to ask Isaac, but it was somewhere in, you know, this 2014, all this stuff's going to happen. I don't know if it was that hunting trip. I don't remember when that was said to Isaac. But this Julie Rowe-esque time. It was during that, yes. So roughly maybe 2016-ish. Or did he, how old was Isaac? Isaac's 23. So this would have, uh, Isaac was in, yeah, he was, he was in high school. He was um, like 16, so he yeah. was young. So, well, this conversation with Chad and Tammy was in 2015 after they'd moved. So um, I don't remember exactly when Isaac, when Chad said those things to Isaac, but it made Isaac uncomfortable. And Isaac's a, he's a, fantastic kid and if anyone's going to be a leader of anything Isaac could be that so I could see where where Chad could see that in Isaac right he wanted Isaac he yeah. wanted Isaac He's on his team him. yeah he wanted yeah. Isaac on his team that's the right that's the whole follower issue that Chad's always looking for minions. To there was this interview with Destin Thane and Chad goes over to his house and I think it was the same thing. He wanted Destin on his team. You know, he wanted Isaac on his team. He's, he's handpicking people. Right. And, and he did, he said the same, he said similar things to his own son, Seth, not Garth, but Seth. Um, 
So I did say to Chad, uh, don't ever approach my children. I would never do that to your children. Even if I had some revelation where I think that I would never approach your children is not your place. Well, you didn't really have a really too bit, a tight of a relationship with his children either. Right. Because he, he kind of would control. Yeah. And one thing that was really weird, we'd all joke about it at family events. They always came late and then all of a sudden they'd be gone. Like, you know, we knew something would be going to this time. They never stayed the whole time and they would never say, Hey, bye or leave. It was just, they were gone. And we'd be like, <laughs> okay, they left. So that was kind of a, that was a thing that they would do. So anyway, so during that conversation, I did say that to Chad and he said, okay, I won't do that again. Um, and then the one, the one thing that, that haunts me that Tammy did say in that conversation with the two of them, well, because I did say to Chad, I don't believe you. I don't believe what you're saying. I said, I don't get a confirmation from the Holy Ghost that what you're saying is true. Um, and I said, I, I feel like I'm a pretty intuitive person and I can discern things pretty well, um, despite not having the priesthood. Um, I, I don't believe you. And I don't think this is any of this is going to happen that you say is going to happen. He's like, well, Tammy said, Heather, you shall know them by their fruits. And I said, what does that mean to you? Fruits, meaning all the money you've made off Julie. Um, that enabled you to move here? What, what are the fruits? And she said, and that was her, you shall know them by their fruits. That's really the last like conversation I had with Tammy because over time. And as I, I wasn't, I didn't go to church like, Hey everyone, this is what Chad's saying to us. I didn't do that. There were select people that I would talk to. I was in a Relief Society presidency at that time. I would sit and vent to that presidency in our meetings. And I told them exactly what Chad had said to me. One of those women, her husband was our, our um, he was the second bishop. We had a bishop that, oh, here's a good story. So we had a bishop. Really quickly, I can't wait for this story. I just want to say with that, last Tammy conversation, it's actually very chilling foreshadowing this. And that's why it haunts me. It, it, you'll know them by your, their fruits. They're, I'm going to be murdered here, mm -hmm. allegedly. Right. And, uh, Chad's gonna mm -hmm. do the unfathomable. Yeah. Not long after they moved into the ward, we had a bishopric change, got a new bishop and, um, that bishop gets put in not long after that chad's made the executive secretary so he's the the secretary to the bishop bishop rick i could not raise my hand because you you know they ask you to sustain the person i couldn't do it did not sustain chad in that position um but he's made the executive secretary he's in these bishopric meetings um that bishopric only lasted about a year because that bishop was put in a new stake presidency. Okay. So that, that that's why there's two bishops that um, knew Chad during all of this. This is like the head over the congregation that you're that you were a part of as was were Chad and Tammy. And again, I don't remember how far into this this happened. This had to be in 2016 at this point. Um. 
I went to, they're called Know Your Religion classes. Our state president at that time taught those classes. So I attended those. Um, the state president in the class I was in this particular day talked about end times, signs of the times, that kind of thing. After that class, I sat in my car and I emailed that state president. And I said, there is someone who is new in our ward. I didn't use Chad's name. Um, but I said, he's predicting these end events. He's very detailed. He's an active member of the church who holds a temple recommend. Very nice man. Um, but this feels really off to me. Um, kind of a reach out of what do I do with this? How, how can he be this upstanding member, but he's off on the side doing this other stuff. I got a response from that stake president just saying, this is a common thing I've, I've heard many times. Um, and in that email at the end, I said, incidentally, because now we're now into 2016, none of his predictions came true. <laughs> none of it happened. Right. And, um, and Chad always had his explanations. It would change. Well, it's in visions. It's hard to find timelines. It's, you know, you just always have these stories. <laughs> right. right. In All dreams and visions, there it's Like Julie Roth. Exactly. So anyway, he responds to me, the stake president, and says, if you feel like, if you're concerned enough that I need to step in or contact this person's stake president, I will do that. So I went back to Matt, showed him my email, showed the response, and Matt said, Heather, just leave it for now. Um, you know, if we get really concerned, we'll contact him. Well, that never happened. Um, <laughs> we get this new bishop, puts Chad in as executive secretary, and then I'm shortly after we're put in this new Relief Society presidency where um, I would talk about this stuff. So upsetting. And, you know, they'd listen and they're like, oh my gosh, that's weird. But, um, I kind of, I left it at that. And then that bishopric only was in for about a year because our state presidency changed. That bishop was put in that state presidency. So then that's when we get a new bishop. That bishop's wife was in that Relief Society presidency with me. So I would, she knew all of this stuff. I knew she would go tell her husband who was the bishop. And Anyway, it just, it, I would say certain things to certain people, but I was, I was trying not to create problems for Chad because I try to be a good person and not create problems for people. But um, anyway, things are continuing. So Chad, in the meantime of all this, he starts a blog that was short-lived because I, because I'm like, I've seen the blog, seen the blog. So he's starting to be more open. If I had said any of this in Springville, people would think I'm crazy. I can do this in Rexburg and this is where this stuff's going to happen. That's, that's interesting. That's telling to me. Yeah. So I'm seeing this blog and I said to Matt, he has got to stop this. Um, he's doing this in my neighborhood and in my home. This is my name. And so Matt called his dad and said, dad, can you talk to Chad? because this is not okay. He did. Jack talked to Chad. And because Ch Jack said to Chad, Matt's concerned, Chad stopped the blog. Really? Because he, he respected what Matt had to say. 
He didn't care what I had to say. It was just what Matt had to say. And it bothered Matt, so he stopped the blog. So I thought, okay, good. Maybe this will die down. This will go away. He, it seems like there was something. I know he was on a vow. Um, and he was, wow. that's a. Were you ever on a vow? Um, no, because I wouldn't pay a penny to something like that to be <laughs> a member of that. That a vow really did take Rexburg by storm too. Mm -hmm. It did. Lots of people were on a vow. And I did hear that Chad had his own little special section. You had to pay the membership for a vow, but then you had to pay an extra fee to read what Chad was writing. Yeah. And the vow was started by Roger. Roger Young, who I heard about Roger Young through Shirley Clausen. Oh, really? She told me about him. Um, so anyway. Um, so Shirley Clausen was teaching you a lot about what Chad believed it sounds like almost. Um, it was shortly after Shirley filled me in all that. I quit doing the walks because I didn't want to hear about it. Um, so I, I didn't talk much to her. Although she did come do an energy session on me because she was studying all she said for hours and hours and hours and hours. She was studying that into that. And I had a, a problem with my foot at the time. She said, can I come do an energy session? And I'm, like, oh. I'm a massage therapist. I've learned a little bit about energy stuff. I'm not really into that. So I was like, sure, if you want to. So she came. I was just trying to, again, I'm trying, I try to be nice. And so she came over and she said, do you know how to do the um, muscle testing where you lean forward or backward? And I said, I am not familiar with that. And I'm not comfortable with that. She said, I'll do it for you. So I'm sitting on a couch. She's sitting across from standing across from me with a magnet in her hand. And she'd ask questions and wave that magnet over her head and do this leaning stuff. And the whole time, <laughs> it's so weird. Again, Shirley Clausen is your neighbor at this point, but Bernadine's interview is a great is a good introduction to, yeah, mm -hmm. to, to who Eldon is. Yeah. And she was, you know, this is helping Eldon. This is helping my grandkids. This is, and anyway, there's more detail in that that I won't get into. Um, but she did the whole session on me. She left the next day. How's your foot? And I said, same. Um, <laughs> and I did say, you know, Shirley, this really isn't my thing. I said, I, what I do know as far as energy work is that if you don't really believe in it, it's just not going to do anything for you. I said, I'm not interested and she didn't want to try to come back. And I said, no, I just, I don't think so. So anyway, um, so in the ward, I'm not saying a ton to a lot of people. Um, but mainly this little relief society presidency and, and a few others. Um, and then things progress into this preparing a people thing. Yeah. Tell us about how did that start? That So I would kind of, and Matt would always be like, Heather, let it go. Just don't worry about it. And I'm like, I can't, I can't let it go. It's bothering me to no end. And so I, I would listen to these preparing of people things. And anytime we'd be like in a restaurant in Rexburg, they had their flyers everywhere. I'd tear them down. I'd throw them away. Just because it was, again, I'm a believing member. It's going off course as far as I was concerned at the time from the, from the doctrine from the, of the, yeah, LDS the doctrine church. of the mainstream LDS church. And he's where there's only two Daybell families in Rexburg. There's an ours. 
And I did not want to be associated with that. Again, I think people just caught word that I was not happy that they had moved there just because they were family and we wanted to be on our own. And Chad had a whole different story as to why they moved to Rexburg, that he would tell ward members. It was just, it's a great opportunity for our family. We just wanted this new start. He just had a different story than what he'd said to us. He was really controlling the narrative. Uh, totally. Yeah. Especially with just the regular ward members. He had his little side thing. Um, but that really bothered me that he wasn't being honest. And so it made me look just look like a disgruntled sister-in-law that didn't like him, didn't want him there. That's what people thought. Yeah, they just think this is a family quarrel. Mm -hmm. You're just being petty. This doesn't have to do with the, his belief system or what he's, you know, yeah. trying to recruit your son to it. Right. Okay. So at that time, my oldest son was getting his Eagle Scout Award. So um, I put this whole program together, typed up a whole program, had it all ready to go, got the desserts ordered, everything. And our bishop walks up to me and said, um, Mark, their youngest son is getting his eagle. We're just going to combine. We're just going to have them be a part of your program. I was like, what the hell? And, and again, the feeling I got from that bishop was, I, I said, well, I've already made up a program. I, he said, it's okay. It got totally dismissed. So we do this whole, oh, Daybell, you know, scout thing. And I, I just ended up tossing the program, didn't even use it because I didn't have time to go in and reprint everything to add Mark and change the, and, and Chad had said, just do what you were going to do. We're just going to include Mark. <laughs> so Chad really doesn't care. That he doesn't. Want nothing to. He doesn't. And so, and what, but what bugged me in that one is the bishop didn't care either. Yeah. He just thought I was being petty is what I took from it. And again, I, all and this these kind of goes to the theme of people are not listening. They're to not you. listening. And so at that time, and again, when I'm referring to these bishops and these stake presidents, they're good men. I consider them friends. Um, they are not my enemies, but they did not listen. And I have my feelings as to why. So anyway, that bishop gets released. We get a new bishop. His wife is still in our release site presidency. So I knew what I was saying to them was getting back to him, that he was aware. Um, and then I get called 2000. I'm so bad with dates. I don't remember 2000. I've been out now of that calling for two years. I was in two years. 2000. Oh, it was 2018 because I was very sick at the time. I had a diagnosis at that time was still sick and recovering. So that was 2018. Um, this new state presidency called me in and want me to be the stake relief city president. And let me explain what that is real quick. And I, I, and I didn't realize you were sick when you got called to this. There are congregations in an area where you attend. That's the bishop is the head over that congregation, the leader. And then there, there are other callings and, it, and it's free. It's a lay clergy meaning uh, nobody's paid for the work they do. And there's a Relief Society president. That's the head over the women's organization in a congregation. Then there are multiple congregations put together that equal a stake. So it's bigger. It's a, it's a larger, broader thing. So a stake president is a really big deal. You are called as the stake Relief Society president. That means... Uh, service free of charge. You're not getting paid for this. You are literally now in charge of multiple congregations 
all of the women in those um, areas. And, and that is a really, really big deal. I mean, very few women are called to a calling like that. Um, you must have been a very stalwart, devout um, person to be called to that. And you're clearly a capable woman. So I can see why they would uh, want you called to that leadership position. But that is a very big ask and a very big deal. And, it, and I have been in leadership callings in all there's primary, young women's, Relief Society. I have been in every kind of presidency. I've been a primary president twice. I think I'm just a glutton. For, I'll just do whatever you tell me to. People can count on Heather Day. I am, was good at what I did. So um, I'm called to that calling there. And in this, it's a large stake. There's 10 wards. It's a big stake. Oh, wow. Over 10 congregations. 10 congregations. Wow. So, and this does play into kind of my faith moving out of the LDS church. Um, it was an interesting, when I was called to that, I, I felt that I was going to be called to that position. I, I, I view it a little differently now than I did then. But um, I was sick at the time, getting better, but I was sick. I have something called sarcoidosis that affected my lungs and my joints. Matt's brother, Brad, happens to have that same diagnosis. It's a kind of rare, it's weird, but um, I was recovering from that. And so I get called, I'm working um, with directly with the state president, um, who again is a good man. Um, I, I do consider him a friend. I haven't talked to him since I have left the church. Um, but I would be open to that and explaining further why I left. But he's, I, um, I do really like him. He's a good guy. Get called to that position. The very first person to text me to congratulate me was Chad. Wow. Very first person. Hmm. That's um, interesting. I did think that was interesting. But during all of this, my, like with Tammy, like when they first moved, I, I mean, I took them dinner. I baked bread. I said, here's a great dentist. Here's a great doctor. I tried my best, even though I was so upset, to do what I could. You tried to welcome them and take care of I them. I tried the best that I could do at the time. Did more than Matt did. Um, <laughs> so anyway, and I, and I, I, you know, when I'd see their kids, I'd, how are you doing? I went to, Leah was put in the homecoming royalty at the school, went and watched her. I went and listened to Emma talking sacrament. Like I was trying to be supportive of them, not Chad, of them. Um, but over time, I don't know what Chad was feeding Tammy as far as I was concerned, but Tammy wouldn't talk to me at church. I, if I passed her, I would have to say, hi, Tammy, how are you? Or else she'd walk right by. I had to instigate any conversations. Um, even he when probably was, I think he was saying something. I, I definitely do. And, or, you know, I just, I didn't believe in what Chad was doing and she knew that. And so she didn't like me. Um, even like when our son, Isaac got his mission call and they announced it in the ward and, you know, lots of people are coming. Oh, congratulations. She walked right by and, I, it, that hurt me. And we had talked to Matt's parents and, and said that, you know, that was hurtful. And they said, well, that's just Tammy. 
So again, that compared to all the praise she got when she passed away, I think, I think the lovely things about Tammy, I didn't get to see and vice versa. I think it was just coercive control. Yeah. Someone was, I do think that once the one thing Chad did say to, to me was that Tammy was the only bright spot in her family. Not really. I know Samantha. I went to school with Samantha. She's an awesome person. Fun. She's a, she's in drama and she, I thought, why would he say that? We've seen an interview with Samantha on Dateline. Mm -hmm. She has interviewed and, and she seems like a wonderful her person. Her and her husband, fantastic people. Um, and I, I was confused by that. I even called my, I talked to my grandma who's in that war and I said, where's Chad's wife? And, and even uh, Tammy's mom, my mom knows very well. And they're good people. I, and that is one thing. And Chad said to Matt and I, you and Matt are the only other religious people in our family. And Matt was really offended by that. Cause he said, well, dad's been a bishop and you know, they're very, no one's never not been active. I mean, Matt's younger siblings have had their issues. Um, but for Chad to say that Matt and I, and inferring that Matt and I and Chad and Tammy were the only religious people in the family. Um, that was, that was, Matt was bugged by that. So that's not true. Yeah. So it was just weird. There was not much of a relationship between Tammy and I, um, and Chad just, when I'd seen, the only time I saw them was at church. We didn't get together. We didn't hang out. We didn't do any of that. Um, and Chad just turned my stomach. He just did. I just, but I would keep track of what was going on in preparing the people. I watched Nancy and James. It's been their little snippets of this. Mike and Nancy James. Mike and Nancy James. Preparing the people founders. Um, when I see they had Chad on the podcast and they said, we follow Chad here from Springville. I went, what? People are following this. Oh, I'm trying to be nice. Yeah. Can you, can you continue to talk about the progression a little bit from, so you've started with 2014 and Julie Rowe. Do things become bigger? Do they? Well, this Mike and they, Nancy James following them, right? Do they gain momentum? So we're we're roughly in like 2016. So let me go back. I, there are a couple things that were okay. important to me. So after Chad and Tammy move, again, I don't know exactly when this was, but it's when Chad and Julie are tight. She's here. So there was this big meeting they did at the Tabernacle in Rexburg. We have heard about this, the, about infam the, meeting, the infamous yeah. tabernacle. We had people we knew well attend that. And Matt said, should we go just to see what this is? And I said, I'm not stepping foot in that building. I've heard numbers like 2000. It was at capacity in that building. So this what year was that again? That was, it had to be shortly after they moved there. Right. And that was summer of 2015. So it was either the end of 2015 or maybe into the beginning of okay. 2016. It was, one of, it was one of the first, not the first, but it was one of the mm -hmm. first preparing a people events and the first one held in Rexburg. That wasn't even preparing a people. That oh. was before preparing a oh, people. Oh, this was before preparing mm -hmm. a people. This is when it's just him and Julie Rowe conquering the world. Okay. So they come, it's at capacity. And all of this stuff is, from what I hear from Chad, it's like proving to him that he's on the right track. Mm -hmm. So we even, we even said to him, um, 
sorry, I'm jumping because as I talk, I'm like, oh my gosh. And then there was things I've tried to just block, I think. But um, we had said to him, it's going to be really hard for your kids to get jobs in Rexburg because of the college, all the college students get the jobs. High school students, it's really hard to find a job. Well, and, and even for Tammy, you know, it might be hard to get a job. Well, they all immediately get jobs. <laughs> and that was proof. That's proof. You know, More proof. They're on is, the right track. You know, and my attitude at the time was good for you. I'm glad it worked out for you. And you've got, and you're doing well here. His kids did have done really well in Rexburg. And I'm happy for that. Um, Tammy loved being a librarian at the elementary school. People loved her. I was happy for her in that. So anyway, as things are progressing, they have this massive meeting. Julie Rowe gets up and tells her story. And then from what I heard, because I wasn't there, that Chad got up and he's expressing some of his experience. This is kind of when I think his near-death experience stuff starts. I'm going to talk about these near-death experiences because to me, it's a crock of shit. It is. I think what he did is he saw the notoriety, the success that Julie Rowe was getting off of hers. So he went back, hey, what could I turn into a near-death experience? His children may think I am the worst person ever because I'm saying this, but I, Matt's had conversations with others in the family. This is kind of the consensus. So when he talks about this one where he jumps, does this cliff jumping, you know, and all of a sudden his spirit comes, and even he explained this to us at one point, his spirit came out through the top of his head and his knees kind of got caught at the top of his head. So his spirit didn't come completely out of his body, but kind of halfway. It's so literal. And he, anyway, so he, that first one he tells us about and Matt and I, after I was like, Matt, he had an adrenaline rush and he's making it into this thing. And so there's that one. And then the one where he's um, in San Diego and he, and Matt wasn't there. Matt was on his mission at that point, but Chad and Tammy and Paul, and they were all there, Matt's parents. And, and I heard the story once, you know, Matt's home from his mission. We heard all about it because he got pretty beat up and he got in this wave, throwing him around. He's all scratched up. They did take him, you know, bandaged him up, but all of Matt's family was there. And, as I watched over time, that story morphed into by the end, seeing Jesus or something. It was like, what? So he, I think he just found what he could to turn it into that. The San Diego near death experience. What, do you remember what was the initial talk of what happened? Was it just an accident? What happened? He, the wave caught him, churned him over and over and he got out. He, the, it was, it was serious. I mean, he was in trouble, but they got him out and he was banged up, but it was okay. Matt did say to his dad, I think Matt and Paul maybe talked to his dad and said, don't you think, because in that near-death experience, he claims that his grandpa Keith came to him. Um, Matt said to his dad, don't you think that if you had that experience, and you, you're out and you're, you know, you're safe, you're, that you would say, I just saw grandpa. I just saw grandpa. None of that was said. Um, 
I truly believe that he just needed to find some experiences that he could turn into a near-death experience so that he could do what Julie Rowe was doing. Um, Matt has always felt that. I believe Paul has always felt that. It just, he made that up. So the Daybell family kind of. They were there. Too. They were there. And Matt wasn't. That's why he asked. And there was no immediate talk. No, of... nothing. Okay. Nothing. And so even the books that were fictional, mm -hmm. I do believe those started as fiction. But once Julie Rowe had her momentum going, he, you know, how can I make this happen for me? So then he goes in, well, these weren't really fiction. These were things that I've seen, but I had to cloak it under fiction so they could be sold in church-owned stores. Um, I 100% believe that. He so, needed the near-death experiences to give him the authority correct. to say that he had these visions. And that he could see into the spirit world um, beyond the veil. So at what point he, because his kids, I think, are pretty convinced that he has that ability. Yeah. From what I can tell. From what you can tell. Um, you're not talking to him right now. No, no. And we'll get into that. But he, um, so I do believe from very early on, he, because one story he did tell us that I thought was weird is that they bought some trailer home you know, pretty early on in their marriage that they were going to bed one night and Chad could hear demons outside his window and said to Tammy, oh, I didn't dedicate this house. We haven't done that yet. So he dedicated the house with his priesthood and the demons were gone. That's a story I was told long ago. So that would have been... I was married to Matt. 90s. Mm -hmm. So I... How and, and some of the stories again, there there's some I've been told that are secondhand that I won't share. Um, of things he did in his home to kind of show or prove of his abilities to his family. Um, okay, well, he on his mission in his book, I talked about this on the Netflix documentary, in his autobiography, he actually mentions that when he was on his mission he started developing the ability to separate evil from good spirits in the different. So he was in Newark and he was going to the various um, complexes and, and kind of poor, you know, I mean, urban poor areas of Newark. And he started at that point, he claims that he was able to. And I did hear those stories early on. Okay. Yeah, those were early on. So he was talking about those when he got back from his mission. So you would think if you have that ability and then you have this near death experience that all your family is there, that you would come out and say, I saw grandpa, this, da, 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 da. none of that happened. So I think Chad's always had, again, I, I don't, he obviously has something going on in his brain. I don't know what, I'm not a professional. But, um, yeah, um, there were weird stories from early on. Um, but the near-death experiences, I don't believe happened. And he just 
created that because over time, as he would talk about them, they, they change, they become more elaborate. They're more and more happened. Kind of like Julie Rowe, like her near death experiences are so expansive that I'm like, that's not even a near death experience. That's you're making it up. I don't know. So that's how I feel about those near death experiences. I don't think, you know, memory, happen. memory, memory is such a funny thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for like we we talk about this as if clearly he's lying or he's being deceptive, and in some some sense, I think that's true. But the way memory works, I think you can actually convince yourself. Convince yourself, and I think that's where he's at now. You know, Lauren and I have talked about. There's a uh, a documentary with Jim Carrey called. It's about uh, Andy Kaufman, and it's it's about oh, you know yeah. Jim Carrey played Andy Kaufman. I mm -hmm. forget Man on the Moon. I think mm -hmm. is the name of it. Yeah. Well, th they filmed the actual production of the of the sh of the movie, and so there's a documentary that's based on that. And you see during this documentary that Jim Carrey starts becoming Andy Kaufman, right? And at the end, he says something like, "I didn't know how to be anything other than Andy Kaufman," right? Like it's similar. I think it's similar to that. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Yeah. Chad thinks like initially he's he's saying he knows that it's not real, but the more he gets into that role, I think he's starting to believe it. Right, that he's mm -hmm. it's not now Chad Daybell, some guy with you know these that's able to separate good from evil spirits. It's Chad Daybell that has prophetic visions, and I think he's really buying into that role. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I will say right here, I won't get totally into this, but that does play into my feelings even about Joseph Smith. I think that's there's a parallel there as far as first visions and things like that. So at the more I study church history, the more I was seeing there's a lot of similarities there. Um, we compared Chad to wanting to be like Joseph Smith. Although there's some, it's it's interesting because even Julie Rowe, like on the Netflix documentary, and I've talked about this in some of Chad's writings, it it's not clear. There's times when he'll portray himself as a prophet, um, but there's times when he'll actually kind of seem to cross that line into like deity. Like yes. he goes from something that's human to, you know, Julie Rowe said that he was going to be the Davidic king of the New Jerusalem, which means essentially he's going to be Jesus. I mean, and did in, you see any the, of that? Um, no, because he didn't talk to me about those things. Um, I did learn in some of the paperwork that I've seen, um, according to his writings, that he does believe he's been the Holy Ghost three different times, um, who is part of that Godhead that the Mormon right. belief, you know? That's part of the Godhead. So... Um, so I think it just evolved. So again, that's where I say I'm torn because I do think he believes, I think he's told himself those things enough that he believes them, but then he sure as heck knows how to lie to people. And that's the issue that I had. Um, so kind of going back. Um, so, you know, our relationship with them just more and more divide. Um, and then, so I'll, I'll kind of jump to when Tammy died. Um, 
so Matt and I were here in Vegas for a conference. Um, when the phone rings, Matt answers, it's his parents. And they said, Tammy has died. They don't know what happened. They just know Chad's called, Tammy died. That's all we know. We'll try to get a hold of you, you know, when we know more. I am, I just, I'm, I'm weeping. I'm, what, what's going on? Matt called Chad and he said, Chad, I have a conference I have to go to. I just want you to know mom and dad called. I'm so sorry. Um, I will call you later when I can. So Matt leaves. I'm in this hotel room. And again, I'm not close to Chad but I wanted to hear him. I wanted to hear what happened from him. Because again, this incessant knot in my gut is never left me. I called him, Chad, I'm so sorry, what happened? Can you tell me what happened? And he lays out a very scripted story. She starts coughing, like 10 o'clock at night, she's coughing. And so she's coughing so hard, she's like thrown up and stuff. But she calms down. But about midnight, she starts coughing again. And finally calms down. And he said, then at like 6 in the morning, um, the sheets come off of me. And I hear a thud. And he said, Tammy had rolled off the bed. So he said, woke me up. I went around and I could clearly see she was dead. She was gone. And he said, she always, um, she, her feet were always hot when she slept at night. So she kept her feet off the bed. And so he, he said, you know, the weight of her feet had pulled her off the bed. And in my, I think this makes no sense. So he said, then I called Garth, yelled out to Garth, come help me to put Tammy back on the bed. And he said, she choked. She, and I said, I said, Chad, are you getting an autopsy done? And he said, no, the coroner came. He, she could clearly see she had choked and she had choked, she had choked because she'd thrown up. She choked and that she died. That's this is how a new she story died to me. This is new. So that's the story I got. And I, he said, and the funeral is in two days. And I said, Chad, we're not even home. We're, can you wait till we, and his brother Paul was out of town as well. And he said, no, it's in two days. So Matt and I had to skip there. I mean, we got a rental car. We, we had flights to get home later in the week, but we got in a rental car called my kids. Can you bring me a dress to wear to the funeral? We barely get to that funeral. And, um, got to the funeral. So why did he say it was in two days? What was his need for it to be rushed? He had no explanation. He just said it's, it's in two days. So Matt gets back from the conference. I'm, I'm a wreck. And I said, Matt, something's not right. I don't know what I'm thinking, but I sure hope Chad didn't neglect helping her or I don't, don't know what's happened. And Matt said, do not accuse my brother. He was ticked at me. 
We didn't speak the entire drive back to Utah. And I didn't flat out say, Chad killed Tammy. I didn't say that, but I just, it didn't, it was not right. And so we go to the funeral. Um, the funeral to me was weird in that it was Chad's spoke, kids, spoke, like no one outside of their little unit other than the bishop. And this, one of the songs they played, played them at both the Rick's, the funeral and memorial. Put your shoulder to the wheel. Oh my gosh, you don't know that. Oh my gosh, who plays that at a funeral? Put your shoulder to the wheel, push along, do your duty. Full heart, heart full of song. song. We all have work, let no, no one shirk. shirk. Put, Put your, your shoulder, shoulder to, to the, wheel. the wheel. I mean, looking, wow. looking at it now, I think it, it makes a little sense and in so far as Tammy's role was to get out of the way so that he could be with Lori and fulfill his vision. Well, and what was his story? That Tammy had a work to do. Yeah, Tammy had a mission on the other side. Put your right. shoulder to right. the wheel, push along. Shoulder to the wheel, push along. And that's all he, she was to him, too, I just want to say, too, is I feel like, as you say, even what he thought of his mother, Tammy's job was to do work. Mm -hmm. To do work, that's what she was there for. And she was the one that always had a steady full-time job. Right. Have you have you told that story to law enforcement uh, yeah. officially? Okay. Yeah. Um, not if you can talk about not it. Not there's some things I can't right. talk about. Okay. But initially, that I didn't talk it to law enforcement until later. Right. This is still. This is still. This is just my this gut. Is fresh. The, I had nothing that I could go to the police with. You had no proof. It was a knot in your stomach. Other than this doesn't feel right. And I didn't know what else to do with it. I, there wasn't, I had nothing else to say. This doesn't feel right. You didn't know about Lori Vallow. I did not know about Lori Vallow. I just knew about the preparing. So what did happen, um, I do remember this date. It was like February-ish, 2019. So this would be before Tammy. No, Tammy died so Tammy in died October. October. This is beginning of the year, 2019. I, um, Chad approaches me at church, which he never did and said, Hey, I just want you to know I'm done with all the Julie Rose stuff. Like, okay. And I said, um, I did see that Mike Stroud was just excommunicated. The look on his face was like, Oh, what? because I followed this stuff. Right. Mike Stroud was another podcaster in mm -hmm. Arizona, actually. Mm -hmm. So this around is the Lori Vallow kind of listening circuit. This is yeah. after. Tammy's oh, I'm jumping around. Okay. So this Before. was early 2019. Okay. So, so okay. March, February, and then she died in October. So this yeah. is before. Yeah. This is before okay, springtime gotcha. before. Mm -hmm. He says that to me, I'm done with Julie Rowe. And I was like, oh, that's good to hear because I just saw Mike Stroud was excommunicated. Julie Rose probably on her way. Which was true. She was excommunicated shortly after that. But the look on his face that he that I even knew who Mike Stroud was, he knew I knew more. He than, knew you knew a lot more. Mm -hmm. That he wasn't controlling you. Right. It so, scared him, in other words. Uh, it just I think that made him nervous that I knew who that was. And I um so anyway, I said that's great. You know, I'm I'm glad you're out of that. Um I did get some other information 
concerning that um, that I can't share here. Okay. So, do you think just real quick, when you when you tell that story, the first thing that comes to my mind is is Heather a target? We wondered feel, that. Do you feel like you would have been? Um, when we, uh, when we were told, so I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, so that happened in the spring, 2019, Julie Rose excommunicated. I'm just making a connection. So there's a picture that they use of Chad and Tammy in Midway, Utah. Um, he's got his arm around her. That was the last family get together we had. But I've wondered, did he bring up polygamy with her and she was not going to have that? Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.